Chapter 3, Communities of Practice Case of the Day A Case Steve, who recently completed his emergency medicine residency and medical education fellowship, had just joined a new institution as a heavily recruited junior faculty member. He was successful as a resident and a fellow, with several scholarly projects in both regional and national lectures. Steve was ambitious and hoped to translate his success to his new institution with the goal of ultimately becoming a member of the residency program leadership. He quickly assimilated himself into the many available resident and medical student education opportunities. Learners frequently lauded Steve for both his willingness and his ability to teach. For his efforts, Steve was awarded the Departmental Teacher of the Year Award based upon his excellent evaluations. Despite his quote-unquote overnight success, Steve was not satisfied. His accolades were coming mainly from the people he was teaching, and he wondered why the senior educators and departmental leaders had not recognized his achievements. He was still working a full clinical load and had not yet received the departmental support for his educational endeavors and scholarly activity that he was promised. He finally arranged a meeting with the department chair asking about the status of the departmental support he was promised. However, the chair claimed that he did not recall this agreement and that departmental support is dependent upon scholarly activity. Steve proclaimed that scholarship is extremely difficult while working a full clinical and teaching load. He also explained that he was honored to have received Teacher of the Year and has a successful past track record. The chair congratulated him, yet remained steadfast that departmental support is commensurate with scholarly output. Steve was very discouraged by his discussion with his chairperson. However, he accepted the feedback as motivation to improve. How was he going to successfully complete scholarly projects while working a full clinical load? Steve's answer to the preceding question was to enlist the help of a mentor. He had lost touch with faculty from his residency and fellowship since joining his new institution, so he began reaching out to seek a mentor within his current department. He targeted senior education faculty who have had successful careers with medical education scholarship. Emails were sent and meetings were held, but Steve never received the mentorship he was promised. Potential mentors often told him that they were too busy to mentor such a young faculty member. Senior faculty also told him they didn't have advice because they received departmental support throughout their career. Once again, dejected over a broken promise and lack of mentorship, Steve reached out to residents and medical students interested in assisting with scholarship. The opportunity to mentor residents and medical students reinvigorated Steve. However, they were only interested in performing case reports. Steve successfully mentored residents and published several case reports, but this was not the scholarly activity that interested Steve. He felt alone within the department, lacking support and mentorship. He could feel his ambition declining and his career trajectory was blurring. Steve recognized that he needed a break and time to reflect, so he decided to attend a National Emergency Medicine Education meeting in hopes of reinvigorating his career passion or identifying an alternative career path. Question for the reader. How should Steve approach this dilemma? Are there resources or programs available to assist him? Overview. Communities of Practice. Communities of practice are part of the family of social learning theories. Communities of practice are neither legislated nor formally mandated. 
They simply develop in response to a specific need. The underlying principle is that learning occurs through social engagement in authentic contexts. Specifically, communities of practice are comprised of individuals that share a particular interest and interact together based on this domain. The foundation of the community is built upon the interactions of the members with each other and their shared experiences of personal engagement within the context of a shared practice. Through these interactions, resources are created that are valued by the community. The most general role of a community of practice is the advancement of expertise within the shared context. Specific outcomes of interactions and collaboration may include learning, innovation, and the spreading of knowledge regarding the particular domain of the community of practice. Recognizing that particular outcomes may not have been the initial intention of the community. Here's some background. The term community of practice was first coined in 1991 by Jean Lave and Etienne Wenger. They suggest that the concept of communities of practice has been present through the entirety of humankind, and that the groups may evolve spontaneously as a result of the need to solve a unique problem or accomplish a particular task, although the most productive communities are likely cultivated. Lave and Wenger described a community of practice while studying apprenticeship. They identified that rather than apprenticeship being an isolated learning process between student and master, there were complex social interactions resulting in many learners and different levels of apprentices within a domain. The impact of social relationships on social learning underpins the idea of a community of practice. Communities of practice are comprised of the three following foundational elements. One, a domain. Two, a community. And three, a practice. The domain refers to the shared interest of the group. A community develops as a result of interactions and collaborations surrounding the domain. Through these interactions, the community forms a practice that leads to the compilation and development of resources that serve the group. Over the existence of the community of practice, continued growth and transformation of the community occurs through the continued development of these three elements. Communities of practice are found in many different fields, with the purpose often being to improve in some aspect of understanding, performance, or knowledge. The knowledge base of the community is expected to be greater than that of an individual. As the community's knowledge expands, whether that is through increased participation or acquisition of knowledge, so does that of the individual participants within the set community. The basis of knowledge expansion is through discussion and collaboration of members, which is similar to other social learning and constructivist approaches to education. Although knowledge is one potential outcome of a community of practice, a significant achievement is more likely in innovation within the particular field of interest. Communities of practice often exist over extended periods of time and experience variability of participation. In addition to the collaborative basis of growth, the dynamic nature of the community results in continued introduction of new experiences, ideas, and innovations that serve as the basis for continued advancement of the community and its individuals. When a new member enters into a new community of practice, their participation is often described by Levin Wenger as, quote, legitimate peripheral participation, end quote, or LPP. New members are often welcomed into a community of practice by participating in low-stakes, simpler tasks that still hold value to the community. The idea is that via these introductory tasks, new members learn and grow, thereby acquiring skills, 
knowledge, language, and a sense of the implicit culture of the community of practice. Legitimate peripheral participation opportunities where the new members can actually observe or collaborate with more experienced members can expedite the growth of the more inexperienced members. In many ways, Steve's participation within his local group can be seen as a form of LPP, since he is participating in low-stakes projects with the residents and medical students, learning the craft of supervising and mentoring others. The problem in his situation is that within his locale, he seems to lack the mentors that can help him to grow, either by explicit apprenticeship or by passively observing their actions within the community of practice. Modern Takes on This Theory Communities of practice can exist in many different forms and typically have a degree of informality and frequent connectivity among community members. With the continuous advancement of technology, members of communities of practice have benefited in several ways. A community of practice can certainly occur within a local work environment or educational setting. However, technological advances, the explosion of social media, and the development of virtual or online communities have resulted in new innovations and opportunities for improving the functionality and accessibility of a community of practice. The initial community of practice theory developed by Lave and Wenger focused on the linking of people with similar interests and practices within a local or restricted area. Dubay and Borges have written extensively about the emergence of the virtual community of practice, or VCOP, which is a more digitally oriented extension of the conceptual framework first described by Lave and Wenger. With the development of and increased utilization of online communities like Google Hangouts, Groups, Slack, VC, members of a VCOP can be in different locations throughout the country or even the world and remain active participants in community discussions, activities, and output. Members with diverse backgrounds, different professional training, and regional practices result in communities with numerous ideas and unique output given the various points of view. The work by Borges and Dubay have suggested the success of a VCOP may hinge on a number of structuring characteristics, such as the amount of time the leader can devote to the community, the leader's selection based on his or her personality, enthusiasm, and skills, the presence and selection of a coach. Having a dedicated full-time leader has been shown in this previous work to be of great benefit. When launching a new VCOP, it is also important to consider the environment in which the VCOP is launched. Groups that have had a surrounding obstructive environment are likely doomed to fail. Having support from established organizations and institutions was also found to be helpful for nascent VCOP. The advent of online or virtual COP has resulted in some very successful groups measured by participation and output. Within emergency medicine education, academic life in emergency medicine, ALIEM, created by Michelle Lynn, has created multiple successful communities of practice for physicians at differing stages of their career. These communities of practice, referred to as incubators, include cultivated networks for chief residents, the chief resident incubator, fellows, fellowship incubator, and more recently, junior faculty members, the faculty incubator. Members of these online communities of practice have the opportunity to collaborate, learn from one another, and produce tangible scholarship products aimed at advancing emergency medicine education. 
Members of these emergency medicine virtual communities of practice collaborate with other members and mentors with unique interests, different backgrounds, and perhaps regional variation in clinical and educational practice, given the widespread reach of these virtual communities. Members exist throughout the United States, Canada, and even South America. Here are some other examples of where this theory could apply. An interesting aspect of COPs is that they can be either cultivated or occur spontaneously. Examples of cultivated COPs can be found in various realms of undergraduate medical education. Periodically, the central concept of these COPs is that participants are of varying levels of expertise and participate in domain-specific activities that promote both content and tacit knowledge and potentially innovation. One example from the Perlman School of Medicine at the University of Pennsylvania is the doctoring course, where MS1 and MS4 students, along with a few faculty, are divided into large groups and spend several semesters exploring the complex psychosocial aspects of the doctor-patient relationship. The groups meet weekly to share personal experience and thoughts surrounding topics such as communication, culture, spirituality, religion, race, social disparities, professionalism, and ethics in order to develop a better understanding of relationships and a framework for guiding interaction. Although there is a guide for topics to be discussed, the group and individual members determine what knowledge and skill set they take away from the group discussions. Another example was raised by one of our open peer reviewers, Dr. Rowan Dice, at HealThink, who noted that trainees seemingly gravitate towards virtual communities of practice in his locale, even though they have little access to the internet via computers. Mostly, he has noted that the learners in the lower resource settings of his country in South Africa access virtual groups via mobile devices using Facebook or WhatsApp to connect. If these groups have layered expertise, for example, both apprentices and experts, and if they connect people with a community of a shared trade or practice, then these truly are emergent virtual communities of practice. As Dr. Michelle Lynn pointed out during our open peer review, transitioning COPs from in-person to online in the health professions arena, however, has its advantages and disadvantages. While convenient, virtual communities are challenged by issues of accountability and communication. The tone of emails and text messages can be misconstrued, leading to mistrust. Community cohesiveness without the water cooler effect and psychological safety. These are all practice considerations when one is seeking to establish a new virtual community of practice. During our online peer review process, Dr. Damien Rowland wished for us to more fully explore more of the mechanics of setting up or creating a community of practice. As such, we will point out that the core elements, the domain, the community, and the practice may not be sufficient to create a community. Stakeholders with a vested interest in connecting people within the community with passion and time can be very key. There is a predominant myth that communities of practice are spontaneously organized by individuals. While the origin of community of practice may be more or less spontaneous, they require 
active participation of all members of different levels, from the apprentice to the master, to ensure high return of time investment. Having champions, leaders, may be useful in cultivating this sentiment. But facilitation is by no means sufficient. The domain must also be relevant, or else the members will not see the point in connecting. Moreover, members' participation should result in a tangible benefit, which is why having a shared practice as manifest by activities may be key. Finally, communities of practice needn't be only informal, as Levin Wenger point out. It should be noted that within organizations, community of practice are often labeled under different names, like networks, thematic groups, clubs, societies, working groups. For instance, some medical schools have fostered the concept of COPs with academic societies or houses of learning that help establish and allow for mentorship and education surrounding the societal aspects of medical education. National societies may have working groups or sections. These communities of practice establish the foundation for societal learning, where everyone has a vested interest and is an active participant to promote their individual educational requirements. Limitations of this theory Limitations of this theory The interpretation of community of practice is in a constant state of evolution. As a result, the best role for implementing this type of learning community remains unclear. Furthermore, due to varying motivations for the development of a COP, there remains difficulty in identifying and measuring outcomes, leaving a lack of evidence for their impact on individual and group learning. Additional limitations include balancing the growth of individuals with that of the group, and a functional dependency on member buy-in and participation which is reliant on a high level of trust amongst the community. Furthermore, as with other constructivist and situated learning frameworks, the blurred lines between teacher and learner, although potentially encouraging further group interaction, may leave others reticent in joining in. Overall, as we continue to see the development of communities of practice in the healthcare setting, our understanding and the effective implementation of these learning groups will be reliant on the continued elucidation of others' experiences, perhaps a community of practice on communities of practice. Returning to the case. Case of the day. While attending the National Emergency Medicine Education Conference, Steve registered for a few sessions specifically dedicated to medical education and junior faculty development. These sessions allowed him to meet other junior faculty members from across the country who reassured him that they were experiencing similar struggles. He was also exposed to several mentors and educators within emergency medicine education who introduced him to the power of an online community of practice. He remembered learning about the Lave and Wenger theory as a medical education fellow, but never considered himself a member within that community of practice. Mentors and attendees encouraged him to join an established virtual community of practice consisting of junior faculty participants and mentors from across the country. He was able to remain an active participant in this program while working a full clinical load because he was able to check the online forum and participate when he had time. 
This program allowed him to collaborate with other junior faculty members while receiving peer-to-peer -peer coaching and professional growth within a group. Because of this collaboration and mentorship, Steve's scholarly output exploded with peer-reviewed publications, national lectures, and invited lectures. He became reinvigorated, and his passion for his career returned. Because of his exuberant success, the unthinkable happened. Steve's accomplishments were eventually recognized by his department chair, and he received departmental support by being named a core faculty member and assistant residency program director.